0: This is episode 106 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Women's Camp 2014, Dancing on the Battlefield with Sherry Rose Shepard. This is session one from Friday night. Born into a Jewish Hollywood family, her dad was a well-known disc jockey and her mother was Miss California. But home life was not happy. Filled with fighting and lonely nights of crime, At age 11, the fighting stopped. Her parents divorced. The pain took its toll. By 16, she was addicted to drugs. 50 pounds overweight, depressed, and involved with the wrong crowd. Desperate for a prom date, she paid her best friend's brother to take her. At the dance, the homecoming king called her Sherry the Whale devastated she took action lost weight entered pageants won the national crown but beauty is only skin deep inside she was still a mess the media found her before photo and blasted her past around the world but what was meant for evil became an instrument for good it launched her ministry ladies give an extraordinary welcome to sherry rose Show.
1: i was here seven years ago were any of you here seven years ago No way. Are you serious? Okay, lie to me. I haven't aged a bit, right? (laughs) I'm a grandma. And I got another baby on the way. So you know what grandparents, grandkids are your reward for not killing your children when they're teenagers. Did you know that? I mean, they they really are. It's like the best possible scenario, isn't it? You get to have them and love them, and then you get to give them back. Um, How many of you have had like a hard year? Just four of you? How many of you have had, like, the best year of your life? Get out. <laughs> I praise God for that. How many of you are ready to dance on the battlefield? Okay, the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we lose our joy, we lose our strength. Um, I've probably had the hardest month of my entire life, and, so, and I'm really actually thankful now. At the time, in this last 30 days, I was not thankful at all. But I finally got to experience... What it was like to be so broken that you can't come out even if you wanted to have you ever been there it's crazy isn't it that's a crazy thing i've walked through a lot of things in my life in my testimony and i'll share with you throughout the weekend and i but i've never been in a position where i could not push through i i would be broken but then i could still rise above the brokenness but i've never been like king david is in the psalms where he says i'm so hurt i'm so broken My bones feel like they're drying up. I can't get up. The powerful King David, this is the words of the man that is after God's own heart. But what I have learned is God is close to the brokenhearted, and this morning, just in time, my joy returned, and I'm ready to take back from the enemy everything that's been stolen. Amen? (laughs) So with that, let's pray. God, I just um, lift up tonight, God, you know every woman in this room, and you can deliver this message 425 different ways. And God, you're that personal. So, Lord, as we um, enter into your word and enter into your presence, I pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way. And what happens tonight would be effective and everlasting. And we know anything I say is useless, but when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit and it's your word, it's effective. So may I disappear and you appear in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know you saw the former pageant stuff that was over 20 years ago, and I do age, so get over it, Um, (laughs) because I have. And and I, I tell my husband I'm so hot, it just comes in flashes, so, she's a different kind of hot. So, so if I start turning red when I'm up here, it's because I'm having a hot flash, okay? Anybody else here can relate to being hot? Are any of you hot? Oh, good. We have a lot of hot women in this room. All right. I have two children. I got pregnant on my honeymoon on birth control, so that worked well. And, um, and then uh, at, when I was about to turn 40, I got pregnant the night before my husband's vasectomy, so that worked well. And. Um, <laughs> And I have the biggest blessing, and then my son got married. My son used to travel with me and work my book table, and he'd been on the road with me since he was 11. And then I knew one of you churches would steal my son, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, my son met his wife at a church that I was speaking at. Unfortunately, I spoke my own destiny as I continued to tell my son to marry a Southern girl, and that's exactly what he did. So my grandbaby is in North Carolina right now. Yeah, the grandmas are going, oh, thank you, God, for FaceTime, right? Um, but my daughter-in-law works for me. She does my online ministry. For those of you that are online, with my mentoring, so it's kind of a family business. My daughter is the manager of my book table. The greatest gift God could have given me with my 11 your spread. Can I introduce Emily? Can you stand up for a moment, Emily, and so everybody can see you? I have my spiritual daughter with me and my personal assistant. I want to introduce Julia. Can you stand up and say hi? She's a beautiful gift from the Lord to me. And I have my manager, Carrie. Everybody say hello to Carrie. She has the hard job of taking care of me. <laughs> Carrie doesn't have any children. She doesn't need to because she has me. And it's like having six children. But she, she was able to get us up here. But um, I love being a grandma. How many grandmas are in this room? Yeah, it's the coolest in the whole universe. It really is. How many of you um, are married? Raise your hand. Well, you... Good for you. <laughs> how many of you are happily ever after married? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. No raising of hands. Well, you know, people ask me all the time how did you get up from that before picture, drug addicted, in a dysfunctional family? My parents have been married and divorced three times each. And tomorrow evening, I'm going to be teaching a message on relationships titled Can't We Just Kill Them and Tell God They Died? Um, it's a wonderful message. And. Um, I think you're going to grow a lot in that, but uh, I will be teaching off that tomorrow night and we'll be talking about those kind of things. But, um, not death, but just how do you navigate your way through those relationships according to the Word of God. But I have to be honest with you, I wish I could just share with you that I became a Christian and everything was good. But I was actually raised in a Jewish family. Um, My parents we uh, married and divorced three times each, five blended families. I, I was always told if I ever became a Christian, I would be disowned from my Jewish family. And when I was 24, um, I came to the end of myself. I'd lost all my weight and didn't know the Lord. And um, weight loss only changed my body. It didn't change my life. And I had depression from things from my past. Checked myself into a hotel room with a bottle of sleeping pills to take my life. Screamed at God and said, God, do you exist And in that moment, he reminded me of the boy that sold me drugs every day. And that boy, someone invited to a camp just like this. And that drug dealer over the summer between my junior and senior year gave his life to Jesus Christ and came back in our senior year handing out Bible tracts in the same place he sold drugs. (laughs) And so that was the first time that I ever got to see Jesus in a transformed life. The next day, a boyfriend of mine invited me to his grandparents' house for dinner. His grandparents were missionaries to Albania, American missionaries. And when missionaries are praying for you, you just get saved because they wrecked all the fun in your, single life, in your sinful life, that's for sure. And their lives changed mine forever. And I named my daughter after the 75-year-old missionary that led me to the crown of life. When I gave my life to the Lord, I did indeed lose my Jewish family. And for 10 years, I learned what it meant to be family in the body of Christ. I learned that even though I didn't have a blood family, I had a blood family in the body of Christ and many people like yourself and had me over for Christmases and Thanksgivings and birthdays and became an extension of what family looks like. Today, that fight has been won. My Jewish family, cousins and all, revival has hit born-again Christians all the way across the board. But when people ask me, how did you get past into the new life from the old life? Following Jesus does not eliminate pain but it does give you the peace that passes understanding. It gives you the wisdom and the words so you know how to navigate your way through this life. And it is a fight. And at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he just wants us to know three, 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 three things. And what I love about Timothy is, I mean about Paul is, he's educated. He really was a warrior for God. He could really tell you a lot of cool things that he did that he conquered, that he accomplished. But he only wants you to know three things before he dies, and it's found in 2 Timothy 4, 7. It is that I have fought the good fight, meaning I fought for the things that further God's kingdom instead of fought with people and fought for things that didn't matter. I have kept my faith. In spite of being beaten, shipwrecked, rejected, I've kept my faith, and I've finished my race. And now he's saying to you and me, I'm now going where there's a crown, an eternal reward for my fight, And there is one for you as well, for those of you that will fight the good fight, keep your faith, and finish your race. What I have learned in many trials in my life that I can't control, how many of you have learned that you cannot control other people's actions? Raise your hand if if that's a revelation to you. How many of you have tried to play Junior Holy Spirit? How did that work out for you? It doesn't ever work out. And so somehow we feel like if I can control you, and I can control you, and I can control my family, and I can control my husband, and I can control my kids, and I can control how my pastor acts, and I can control how the worship goes, and I can control all this, then people will get saved. Then people will see who God is. Or how many of you have had the perfect scenario? And it really would have been a wonderful story that would have been beautifully glorifying to God, but it didn't quite turn out that way. And so what do you do? In that case, what do you do when the white picket fence is gone? How do you live out your faith when everything you thought was isn't? Then what? You do exactly this. I will fight for the things worth fighting for and not fight for anything else. I will stay anchored in my walk with God. And I will finish my race whether my life turns out the way I want to or not. What I have learned is discomfort of doing the right thing is so much better than the destruction of doing the wrong thing. And so for me, when, when I look at us as a team, I look at us as being in the Lord's army. And Teddy Roosevelt says, the victory only belongs to those who are actually in the arena. And one of the things that really came, out, came to me was how many times we judge people when they're in the middle of a battle. How many times we go, oh, well, they must not be following God Well, Daniel was following God, and he was still thrown in a lion's den. Well, Jesus must have not been following God because he went to the cross. Do you see how dangerous it is to judge God's love for you and others when they're walking through the battle? Because life is a battle. Jesus says, you will have, not might, you're going to have troubles in this life, but I've overcome the troubles of this world. He never says you're not going to have trouble. So when people say to me, well, how did you get there from here? I said, I had to fight. I have to fight. I have to fight not to walk in who I was and become who I am in Christ. I have to stay in the word. I have to stay accountable. I need an advisory board. I need people. And I'm going to talk about that. But Many people in this room have had something happen where you've either been pushed down or fallen down. In Proverbs 24:16, I love the godly may fall seven times, but they always get back up again. It doesn't say the ungodly. It says the godly may fall seven times. When I was in my very first beauty pageant, I wasn't a Christian. It was evening gown competition, and I know some of you have heard this, so I'll just laugh again, but the rest of you, just join me. Raise your right hand. Okay, elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. Okay, fake smile. If you have big hair, whip your neighbor. Okay, you got it. Okay, so it's evening. You didn't do the figure eight wave. I'm really disappointed. Okay, so anyway, we do our little figure eight. If you ever wanted to, this is your chance. Okay. Okay, so elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. I'm walking towards the judges and I'm smiling and I'm one of those people that's kind of klutzy and the light was so bright in my face, I couldn't see the end of the runway and kept walking and fell off the end of it. Just pop. Too bad they didn't have YouTube back then, right? But. Anyway, so I pop, I'm i down there on the ground, and I'm thinking, I still want to win. That's what I'm thinking. You know, everybody falls down. Either someone pushes them down, or they make a mistake, or something happens in your life that wasn't your fault, but you're suffering for the sin of another, and you feel like, where? how do I get up? And for me, I didn't know the Lord. I just wanted to get up and win the crown, and so I pulled myself up, and I had hurt my left leg really badly, and my... Gown had ripped up the pack, but I was holding it like this and dragging my leg. And I got back up on the stage and grabbed the microphone. I said, hi, I'm I'm Sherry Rose, contestant number 17. I just wanted to make sure you remembered me. (laughs) World peace. And I dragged my leg off of the stage like this. And guess what? I won. And you know what they told me? They said, we didn't have you pick to win. But we changed our vote because of the way you reacted to the fall. You have grandkids, you have neighbors, you have churches, you have non-Christians watching, you have people that are watching you and you may have fallen or someone has pushed you down or you were faithful and a tither and you still lost your house. You invested in a church and it still fell apart. You invested in a friendship and they betrayed you. You invested in a marriage and he cheated on you. You invested in a job and you didn't get the promotion. And you right now are in that position where you're like, Wow, I feel like I'm in a free fall. I feel like I can't find the foundation that I worked so hard to build. Even as a Christian, you can try to build the best possible foundation and still be thrown into a lion's den, still be thrown into a fire. But here's the beautiful thing about God. The invisible God becomes the most visible when he's our only hope. When Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for his faith, even if god didn't pull him out his last testimony his last witness would have been i love god so much i know this gospel is so true that i would rather die for it than live and not have you know the lord but god didn't stop there he honored that obedience and he only not only did he pull him out the leader of that land Turned to the true God, and everybody else followed, because one man said, at any cost, I will follow Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were good, godly, obedient men, but they were still thrown into a fiery furnace. But the invisible God became visible again. What Satan wants to do is he wants to lie to you that God doesn't love you or God's picking on you or God can't use this or this happened and so you are damaged goods. He wants to do that to every single Christian. He wants to cripple you either that way or he wants to lie to you this way. You have a great testimony and everybody else is hurting. You have nothing to share, so don't talk. And I find it interesting that God, for me to come to know the Lord, showed me two testimonies, a drug dealer that was transformed by the power of Christ and a godly woman that never had to walk away from Christ to know that she had the best possible life. Those are two wonderful testimonies, and not one is better than the other. If you have followed God all the days of your life, I stand here in awe of you, thanking you that you have anchored yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your witness, because it's the best testimony at all. If you know God the way I do, where you have, were so far left, and he brought you back in, and you understand his grace, I praise God for your testimony. Bottom line is, we are in the Lord's army, and I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the news or look around you. There is a war going on for the soul of our nation and the next generation. Does anybody see that? And so at some point, we have to say, I will do whatever God asks me to do. Because here's what happens. Teddy Roosevelt, our former president, said, The victory only belongs to those who are actually in the arena. What happens is if you don't choose to let God use you on a daily basis, whether you're running errands, active in a ministry, at church, in your children's life, wherever you are, God, just use me. Here I am, Lord, send me. If you don't choose to become a part of the Lord's army, a part of saving people, a part of being glorifying God with your life, a part of living for God, you're not committed to it, you don't understand it, then what happens is... Like Teddy Roosevelt said, the victory only belongs to those who are actually on the battlefield, the ones that are actually in the arena. Because if we're not, do you know what we end up doing without even realizing it? We end up putting down everybody else that is trying to fight. We end up being cynical. We end up going, well, that pastor didn't do that, and that youth pastor didn't do that, and that worship didn't do that, and that person didn't do that. But when it becomes personal, here, let me put it in more personal terms for you. We love our military, right? We're grateful for our military, am I right? I, I am, I'm grateful that our military will protect us. But let me tell you how much different the military would come to me, become to me, if my son or daughter was taken to war. That military would become very personal, wouldn't it? Some of us are not in the arena. We go to church, we, we know God from afar. We're saved. We're going to go to heaven. But we've never experienced what David has experienced, where we get to kill giants, that we get to be a part of the great things that God gets to do through us. And so if you're not being actively used by God, faith is boring. And it even feels like a chain. It feels like a list of rules of what I can't do, and it makes me feel bad about myself. But if you are under the commander-in-chief and you're in the Lord's army, it changes everything many of us right now are what I call in a free fall, like when I fell off that stage. And they can't find the foundation that they once stood. And they're praying, God, rebuild the foundation, rebuild the foundation. And I believe now in 25 years of ministry, I've spoken over a thousand of these type of events in 25 years. And I can tell you that I have never seen more of God's precious, faithful people in a free fall than today. And I believe that God is honestly not letting us build a foundation here on earth because he wants us to build a foundation that will last forever above us and further his kingdom. And there's freedom in that. But the ma- enemy is the master of creating illusions of hopelessness. He did it for Daniel. He did it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, and for Jesus too on the cross. It looked like this is the end. You followed a savior that's dead, hanging on a cross. But let me tell you, the rest of this message is about Sundays on the way. Amen. A resurrection is coming. Look at someone and go, get ready to get free, girlfriend. That was so boring. I would never get saved if I had someone say that to me. (laughs) Really? That's how passionate we are for Christ? Look at someone and say, get ready to get free, girlfriend. There you go. Because your battles are not the end. They're the birth pains of a miracle, the beginning of a miracle. But you know what, a lot of times, it's hard to dance on the battlefield. It's hard to do what God has called us to do if we're not living the life we wanted. Many of us had dreams that we wanted to use for God and it didn't quite turn out that way. You know what my dream was? My dream was to be an ice skater. And I was a good ice skater, and I was doing pre-Olympic training and winning competitions. And those of you that are over 40 will appreciate this. I had the opportunity to win a competition where I got to train with Peggy Fleming and Charlie Tickner. And that's a big deal when you're young and you're 12 and 13 years old. And, you're just... and my parents divorced. My mom took my scholarship money, bought herself clothes, took me off the ice, left me home with my older brother who's a stepbrother who's a drug addict, and that's where my life ended. Dreams gone. I never wanted to be a speaker. I never even thought about being a public speaker. Did you know that's like the biggest fear in America other than death, is being a public speaker? (laughs) And and, and I certainly didn't think I had anything to say, that's for sure. And and God opened up this door at a very embarrassing moment, to be honest with you. My um, husband was highly educated and asked me to go to a dinner with him. And at that dinner, it was all Bible professors and their wives. I said, I don't want to go there. They're too high. they're too educated. I don't want to sit around that small a group, because I barely got out of high school with D's. And and I just could not imagine sitting with that many educated people. He said, just don't talk. <laughs> well, by the you're laughing. The one man in the flight. No, just kidding. So long story short. I almost made it to the dinner without ta- talking and the woman at the end of the table said, Hey, I heard you were fat Jewish and on drugs. You should tell us your story. <laughs> a few weeks later that woman called me and she said, I'm in a bind. And I was wondering if you could help me out. I said, yeah, I'll help you out off a bridge. <laughs> and, and she said, I have several hundred speakers coming. And I want to know if you could come and share your testimony. Cause my speaker canceled in the last minute. I said, lady, I'm not a speaker, and I'm certainly not going to come and speak with a bunch of leaders. And I thought back then that leaders never sinned before. I didn't know the scripture that all had sinned. (laughs) So that scripture was a relief to me that I wasn't the only sinner Jesus had to die for. But, But in that, she said to me, Sherry Rose, God didn't pull you out of that dark place for you to keep it to yourself. He pulled you out so you can pull others out also. And I'm Jewish, so you can manipulate me by guilt, so I said yes. <laughs> and I've been speaking ever since. I don't solicit bookings. God just opens up those doors. So I guess after 25 years, I think I'm a speaker. But, but God opened up that door. But we think if there's battles, life would, if we didn't have battles, life would be so much better. King Solomon is the only man of God that didn't have battles. And he, in the end of his life, he sums up life as boring and meaningless because he had everything, but he didn't have a fight. How many in this room would testify that when you're in a battle, you're closer to God? Raise your hand. How many of you would testify that you went through a battle and it made you more like Christ? It's amazing what it does. It doesn't feel good in the moment. No one wants to be in the fire or the lion's den. It's amazing, though, how God uses the most painful places to put us exactly where he called us to be. He did it with Joseph, and I find it interesting that here he loves his family, and he loves his dad, and he's sold into slavery because of his jealous brothers, and he's so faithful that he comes from goes to a slave, to third in command in Potiphar's house, and then. The wife of Potiphar, his boss's wife, has a crush on him and tries to sleep with him and he does the right thing and he's thrown into prison and you could go, where is God in that? But it was when he was in that prison that God positioned him to be able to know. He interpreted dreams that put him with the king that got him to be the head of the entire land. But what blows my mind is that the scene with Joseph, with those brothers that abused him, with those brothers that were really what could look like the death of him, the end of his wonderful life could have ruined his life. And he has this scene where he, they, he realizes his brothers are in line because there's a famine in the land, and Joseph was so wise, he was able to see and interpret the king's dreams to store up food for seven years so when there was a famine, food was preserving everybody's life. And he, they, the Bible says he saw his brothers, and he wept so bitterly, that you could hear it through the entire land, the pain was so excruciating. And then finally, he says, bring my brothers in. And after he processes the pain and cries out to God, he stands before his brothers who are terrified that they've done this now that he is, God has raised him up from a prison to a palace. And he says, no, do not be angry at yourself for selling me into this place. For it is God that allowed this to happen so I could come ahead of you and preserve your life. So I don't know where you've been tossed or what person has seemed to have altered your plan. For me, it was my mom altered my plan, which made me not an ice skater, which got me involved in drugs, which got me here, which got me there. I don't know, I could sit my entire life and analyze a million situations that could. T- I could you know, give you my sob story, or I could say, No, I trust God that on this day in July, everything that I've walked to for this moment is for me to stand here, whether I feel qualified or not, for this time, such a time as this. And I could say, do not be angry at yourself, parents or people that have hurt me or situations because it carved in me compassion and wisdom and desperate for God. So I could stand here before you now and deliver this message. God's will will be done. God's will will be done. David's pain comforts us today. What we need is David's perspective. Everybody saw the giants as too big to hit, and David saw the giant as too big to miss. (laughs) If we were to change our perspective in what's going on either personally or in the land, and he, I love when First Samuel 17, he goes, you come to me with a sword, giant, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. Can you imagine if every giant we saw, from human trafficking to taxes to wars and all the things that we see going on, could say, you know what, there's so much going on that there's no way if every one of us would not step onto the battlefield, whether it's just prayer covering, tithing, volunteering, whatever it is that God would use, how much different would our perspective be if we'd actually step in to the arena. In Ecclesiastes 3, King Solomon says there's a time for everything. And I know with me, I don't know about how you are, but I think I'm, I have a heartbeat on us women. There are certain seasons you wish you would never end. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's other seasons you wish you would go very quickly. <laughs> but there are seasons where you're like, oh, this is so sweet. I finally have that season. Enjoy that season because there's wonderful seasons, but there is a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die, not just in our physical death, but sometimes there's a time for a dream or a plan to be born, and sometimes there's a time for a dream and a plan to die and to be laid down. There's a time to plant, there's a time to harvest. There's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and a time to dance. There's a time for peace and a time for war. It's time to dance, and it's time for war. It's time to dance on the battlefield. It's time for us to get our joy back, because we have to be so careful that we could talk so much about the bad things that are going on in the world around us and our life that we could become what I call the Church of Eeyore. (laughs) Truly, it's going to be another bad day. Praise God. We could be the deliverer of bad news every day if we're not careful. But what would happen if the body of Christ read the good news of the gospel instead of watch the bad news? What would happen if we guarded our minds and guarded our hearts and dwelled in the things and talked about the things in Philippians 4 8, that's worthy of praise and that's, that's, that we're thankful for and the goodness of God? What if we talked about how big God is instead of how big the giants are? You know what would happen? your children would follow Christ. Because we need to be careful the things that we say to our kids and our grandkids. And if all we're ever talking about is how bad everything is, they're going to get discouraged. They're not going to have that military mentality of I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. We sing it in Bible school. And I didn't even go to Bible school. I know that song. So I'm sure you, most of you do know it. But... Praise is also an amazing stress release. Did you notice when the praise team was up here, how you're like, oh, you can just really feel like, I mean, God used to send praise bands in, praise before war, to deactivate the enemy. Praise is a powerful thing, and it's a great stress release. The only thing I want to know about stress is why can't our buns and thighs get as tight as our neck and shoulders? <laughs> that I don't get. Because I get no benefit from my stress. No one ever comes up to me and goes, nice neck, it's tight, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you an acronym of dance. I have a journal that I put together, not the one you're holding. I have like an actual workbook for all the teaching for the weekend and all the scriptures, all the lessons, everything in one journal with you to be able to do practical applications. So if you do want to get that after, feel free to. But I'm going to give you what God gave me fresh today on dance, and the first thing he showed me in the acronym of dance, it's a scriptural acronym. I broke it down, and so I'm gonna be your cheerleader. Give me a D. D. Yeah, that's not getting you an answer. Um, Give me a D. D. That'll get you an answer. So if I'm gonna dance, if I'm gonna have joy, If I'm going to rise above depression and oppression and frustration and the circumstances and the things in my life, I'm going to have to start with this D. And because God says it's first, but I'm going to have to, which is do what God tells you to do. Because if you do, or I do, what I feel like doing, how many of you have ever done what you feel like doing? How does that work? And so let's start with the first lesson about doing what God tells you to do. Just say this with me. You're going to find great stress release here. Say this. He is God. He is God. And, I am not. and I am not. Isn't that profound? <laughs> say it again. He is, God, he is God. And look at your neighbor and say, you are not. <laughs> so he's telling us don't lean onto your own understanding. The reason why I know that you have to do this to dance is because in Matthew 22:37, 37, Jesus says it like this. You need to love me the Lord your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Why? Because I think it's actually almost impossible to even enjoy the benefits or even obey God if your heart is not in the right place. How, let me explain that in woman's terms. A man that just goes through the motions but has no heart for you. It really hurts, doesn't it? When they just do what they need to do to get you to stop talking. (laughs) But it isn't with love. It isn't with that heart. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to do what he asks us to do because we love him. So if we love him with all our heart, all our might, and all our strength, and the reason why, and then the second thing he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands in John 14, 15. And the reason why it gets so hard to do this is even with the best of intentions, even with the best of intentions, if it's not done God's way, God's will is not accomplished. You could be the most precious, loving, godly I want to please God person, so I'm going to help him out, and I'm going to do it this way. And that was David. He was a man after God's own heart. He wanted the Ark of the Covenant brought back, and he wanted to worship God, and he wanted it protected, and he had the most precious heart on it. But he didn't have the men of God carry the Ark of the Covenant the way that God said to do it, and all those men were killed. They died by God's hand. (laughs) got a bug. Okay. <laughs> that was funny. All right. I'll tell you a funny story later on that. But anyway, okay. Um, but he didn't do it God's way. And then Abraham did. You want me to sacrifice my only son? That doesn't make sense. That's painful. I waited forever. Are you kidding me? Why did God have Abraham sacrifice his only son? Not because he was going to take his son, but because he didn't want his son to take God's place. He wasn't gonna take his son. He just wanted him to lay his son down so he could enjoy his son, so he could enjoy the gift that God gave him, but that the son didn't become God. Do you see the difference? And so it's hard to dance if you're not following the dance instructor. It's hard to be on the battlefield if you refuse to go through boot camp, if you refuse to do things according to the military. And the reason why the most powerful militaries are the ones that are unified the ones that obey, the ones that walk and march and know what to do and know how to react to battle. But many, many times, our best intentions, and I, I want to share with you some wisdom of 25 years of ministry, good things do not, cannot replace God things. Good things cannot replace God things. Good things feel good, which even lead you farther away from God. But God things give you peace and power, and legacy, and wisdom, and they anchor you, and you're not tossed from here to there, following your feelings and following people. He loves you too much to bless something that is not from him. So let me just share something about dancing. You could know the nicest person in the world that could love you more than anything. But if their advice doesn't line up with God's word, you will still end up out of God's will. Have you ever had that happen? Someone you trust, someone you love, you went to them for advice, but they, didn't, they weren't anchored in the word, they weren't anchored in Christ. And they had good intentions. And it led you down a very wrong path. I have. And I don't like it, do you? No. God's saying, no, I want you to love me first. How do you know if you love something more than him? Let's go back to Abraham and Isaac. Whatever you're not willing to lay down means you love that more than God. And so if there's something that you're not willing to lay down, whether it's a dream, like I had with ice skating, whether it's a person, whether it's a plan, something that you're holding on to, Is actually holding on to you and it's keeping you from dancing and it's hard to dance when you have a bunch of stuff so I pray in Jesus name that if there's anything the Holy Spirit wants to show you right now that you hold tighter than God that you would be able to lay that down so you could enjoy it so much more so you could actually enjoy that relationship that you could in Joy, that blessing, that you could enjoy that whatever, maybe it's a physical blessing, maybe it's a financial blessing, maybe it's something really precious that God has given you, but you haven't even been able to enjoy it because it's become more to you than God. He's a good God. He says, if we who are evil like to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God who loves us want to give to us? But a lot of times we don't even get to enjoy the precious things he gives us. Because we hold so tightly to it that it replaces God. So I pray that. And give me an A. A. Hey. I love you. A is access his grace. Access his grace. Grace is the ability to do something bigger than yourself. And that's when it gets fun. That's when your faith increases. Um, I have dyslexia. Uh, this last year I hit, his princess just hit over 1 million books old. But when God opened the door for me to write books, it was through, like you saw in that video, where the media got a hold of my picture and publishers started to ask the before and after. And I said, no, I I can't write. I barely got out of high school with D's. I had an English teacher that told me I was born to lose in life. I, I, I could not fathom how I could write a life story book. I said, I can't spell, I can't punctuate. And they said, well, you speak. Just try to write like you speak. Turn it in, I had to handwrite it, because I didn't know how to type. And we have editors that can correct your spelling and your grammar. So I tried it, very insecure about it. And I prayed, and I begged God, and I wrote it, and I handed it in. The editor called me back and goes, you can't spell. (laughs) You cannot punctuate at all. But you can write. And you're one of the first writers that's a public speaker that we don't have to write the books for you. And I didn't know I was a writer. I had to access God's grace. Well, that first book was my life story, Life's Not a Dress Rehearsal, and it hit the bestseller list. And then I got asked to write another book, and here I am now 15 books later. And so I started, oh, praise God, thank you. (laughs) To God be the glory for that, but thank you. Um, But my point is, I have a group of godly women that surround me, and I ask if they would believe God with me, that he would heal my learning disorder. Because it would seem like, a good God, a nice God, a healing God, if he's going to let me be an author, would heal my learning disorder so I could actually enjoy writing, wouldn't you think? And so these women were like, I'm going to pray. Yeah, I'm definitely going to pray. I'm going to believe God with you. with well, you know, they prayed, God didn't heal my learning disorder. And, well, we're going to come over, and the Bible says to anoint you with oil, so we're going to anoint you with oil, and that's going to work, and God's going to heal you. God didn't heal my learning disorder. They anointed me with so much oil, I went to the bathroom and slipped off the toilet. You know, it did not do a thing for me. It would not happen. And so... I cried out to God and I said, God, you could heal my learning disorder because I'm one of the only best-selling authors that has written more books than I've ever read in my lifetime. <laughs> and if you get the books tonight, you'll need to read them backwards, but don't worry, they're still anointed. <laughs> but, you know, but there was a time when dyslexia was of great benefit to me. Once I tried to take my life and I jumped behind the bus. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are way too funny. Okay. <laughs> But instead, God said this to me in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. And then Paul says, well, then I'm glad to post about my weakness because Christ can be glorified in it. And so I'm not sure what it is that you think you need more of to be significant or valued. More of talent, more beauty, more money, more education. I don't know what you think you need more of or what you think you're not, but I know the enemy wants to whisper to you that you have to have this, this, and this to be used by God. And that is not a God thinking. That is a world thinking. And that is just another way to shut you down. But God truly is glorified in our weakness. He truly is. And we get to experience the power of God by allowing his grace to work through us. Can you imagine if each one of us just said, God, I feel insecure. I know all the things I'm not. There's a way. I mean, honestly, every time I come to speak, I'm like, Lord, you're going to show up again, right? God, you're going to like do your thing again, right? I mean, I'm desperate for him because I'm not smart enough to give you something that will make any difference. And whether I feel qualified to stand here or not, God spoke through a donkey, so I'm okay. I'm just saying. But we worry too much about what other people think. And so we're so worried about it. Would you like to be free from that? Raise your hand and like, I don't want to worry about what people think anymore. I just want to be free in Christ and be used by God. Okay. Look at a neighbor and say, I'm about to set you free. Let them know. Okay. Now speak these very sweet, truthful words to your neighbor, okay? Look at your neighbor and say this. No one's thinking about you as much as you are. (laughs) Now look at him and say, so get over yourself. So listen, we're working so hard, worrying about what each other thinks and they're not even thinking about you. They're thinking about what you think about them. One of my favorite sayings is, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? (laughs) I used to think I needed big hair to be used by God. And people that had big hair, I thought they had everything. When people would come up at retreats like this with big hair and say, I need prayer, I'd say, why, you have hair. (laughs) And we somehow think if someone has something we don't, They have it better than we do, so they're better than us. Whatever that is, if they have long, you know, whatever it is, whatever we think it is that we need, that we obsess with, that we're not, then whatever that person has, they have it better than us. And you know what I learned? I learned what I take for granted someone else is praying for. And sometimes God has to disable us to enable us to do more through us than we could do on our own. So how do I do this? I have to live Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things. Say it with me. I can do all things. Do all things. Through Christ. Through Christ. Who, strengthens Who strengthens me? You trade self-confidence for God-confidence. confidence for god confidence If you work your entire life trying to build your own confidence, see, I thought my confidence would come from my hair, so I bought pounds of hair extensions, and I couldn't wait to go to my next booking with pounds of these clip-on hair extensions. It was down to here and out to here, and I walked into the room, and no one had bigger hair than me because no one wanted to have bigger hair than me. I looked like Cousin It. But I wanted big hair. And when the woman introduced me, she hugged my head and unclipped it all. And so I was walking back and forth, talking and hair is falling all over the stage, but I can't see it. All I can see is women going, what's that? And so I stop and then go, what are you all staring at? And they said, and they point, and I saw my hair and I could hear God say, even the numbers of hair on your head, I know. And I don't recognize any of those. Whatever it is you think that you need to be more valuable, to be more accepted, if God gave us everything we wanted, we would be useless because all of our confidence would be in what we thought we needed and not in him. We don't need more confidence. We need more confidence in Christ. Amen? Give me an N. Never give up your identity. I don't know who in this room has ever had identity theft, but it's a really scary feeling if someone has stolen your identity or your credit card or used something. But many of us have spiritual identity theft. And if you don't look at John 10.10, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his goal. Jesus comes to give us a new life, a new identity. Satan wants to give you a false identity and... Jesus wants to give you a new identity. When that English teacher told me I was born to lose in life, that became my identity for several years. If I had continued to walk in that person's comment on me, I would never have be here today. I wouldn't have ever written a single book because the English teacher said I was born to lose, so that must be it. Now think for yourself right now. Just take one moment of reflection. Has someone spoken something to you and you made that who you are? Have you actually taken what a human being spoke over what Jesus spoke over you? Have you chosen in that moment to say, this is who I am? That's because we are looking to each other for our identity to validate us. How you act to me, how you react to me, how many likes I have on my Facebook, how you respond to my Twitter, how you respond to my joke, how you respond to this, It's like we're walking around with these empty buckets going, fill me, fill me. And whatever anybody puts in it is what we become. I don't know who said what to you, but I do know this. They didn't give their life to prove your worth, but Jesus did. And I do know this. This is a crisis. How many of you are mothers? Moms, if you do not know your identity in Christ, either will your children. And if I keep repeating everything that was said about me bad or every bad thing I think about myself, my mouth goes into my brain and I believe it more and more and more. Can you imagine? And let's try it. How about just this weekend? Let's make a decision that we're not going to repeat a single negative thing that we think about ourselves or that someone else has said. And if someone compliments you, you're actually going to just say thank you and stop talking. (laughs) I mean, what is it? I like your hair. No, look at these roots. I love your outfit. It's totally old. Why do we do that? Why can't we just say thank you? People are not going to compliment you anymore. Because we're going to get an hour-long lesson of why you aren't what they said you were. See, that English teacher didn't teach God's grammar lesson. God's grandma lessons, don't put a period where I have a comma because I have a plan for every life I create, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I just pray in Jesus' name that any curse that has been spoken over you, any lie, and maybe it was even a truth. Maybe it was even something you did and they, they put it on you and said, this is who you are. You are more than the mistakes that you've made. And a setback doesn't mean you're not set free. And every one of us has said something or done something we regret. Has anybody ever said anything they regret? Raise your hand. Of course. Anybody ever done anything you regret? Anybody ever acted out of character? <laughs> Let me say something. Just because you act out of character doesn't mean you have char- don't have character. It's what you do once you act out of character. How quickly you repent. How quickly you make it right. How quickly you recognize it. That's why God sent a Savior. He knew you weren't going to walk perfectly. But too many times we walk in lies, and how you feel about yourself will never change who you are in Christ. Never. How you feel about yourself does not change your true identity. You're a daughter of the Most High King, son of the Most High King, whether you believe it or not. It's still the fact. He is the King of Kings, and if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you are in a royal family. And you can choose to walk in truth or lies. And you can leave a legacy of lies for your children or you can leave a legacy of truth. And they need to see us walk in God's confidence. They need to see us speaking out loud the truth of who God sees we are and speaking it to them as well. Amen? Amen. When I first won, this is America, my son who was 25 was five. And he went to school and told everybody, show-and-tell. My mommy's the new queen of our country, everyone. And I came to pick him up with no makeup on and my hair in a bun and gray sweats. And he, his teacher came up and goes, this is so cute. Your little boy loves you so much that he actually believes you're Mrs. America. I said, I am. She said, you're kidding. She expected me to pick him up on a float doing the figure eight wave. I don't know. But to someone, especially your children, you're queen of the country. And, and what you think about yourself is what they'll think about themselves. To someone, you're a reflection of who Christ is. And we have a choice. And God's not kidding. Say the First Peter two nine with me. Let's practice speaking truth to ourselves. Say, I have been chosen by God Himself. I've been chosen by God himself. I'm a daughter of the King. I'm holy and pure, and and I'm God's very own. own. I tend to do a few blonde things. The few men in the room, please don't judge me when I share this story. But I was moving an office, and I I needed some help moving some desks. And so there was these three boys that were right outside my door, and I said, hey, if I pay each one of you, you know, $25 each or $35 each, could you come help me move some furniture into my office? They said, sure. So they started helping me move stuff into my into my office. And I was putting my office in my home at the time. And I felt bad because it was noon. I said, "Oh, can I make you guys lunch?" They're like, "Oh, yes, thank you so much." So I made them lunch. And and then when they went to leave, I was stepping. I said, "You know, what? I just feel like I want to pray with all of you. Can I do that? Does that sound weird to you?" And they're like, "Well, okay. You can, I guess you can pray over me." And and so we all stand in a circle. I said, "Let's get in a circle." And we all stand in a circle. And I start praying. And I look down and I go, "Wow, well, that's." that's interesting, you all have lumps in your socks. They were on house arrest for theft. And so they said, oh, no, those are actually alarms. We're on house arrest for theft. And I looked down, and I looked up, and God gave me these words. I said, as I did not see those, either does the Lord. Jesus doesn't see you through those socks. And I got to lead all three of them to the Lord. When we know who we are in Christ and we speak life to others of who they can become in Christ, we get to become the ambassadors of hope and love in the littlest of things. And praise God, no one stole anything from my house, but (laughs) give me a C. C. The C is... Come out of hiding into your appointed position because so many times we are embarrassed how life turned out, so we we hide. We hide our faith. We hide what God's called us to do. And I love how Gideon was hiding, and I love how God addressed him in Judges 6, 12. Here he's hiding, and he doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't believe God can use him. He sees all his weaknesses. And I love that the Lord sends an angel, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Because God addresses you for who he's called you to be, not where you're hiding or how you feel. Isn't that beautiful to know that? And um, I I learned this, that there's people that really do need to be saved. And can you imagine if our military said, I just don't feel like fighting because I'm not qualified. I'm not strong enough. We'd be pretty scared, wouldn't we? Or if a police officer said, I can't come because I... I don't feel like I could handle this situation. You'd be like, well, who's going to save me then? I live in an apartment complex um, with 3,000 other people. And there's four hot tubs in that apartment complex. So the chances of ever being in a hot tub by yourself would be, well, one in 3,000. Okay. Four in 3,000 maybe. Okay. But I, my balcony overlooks one of the hot tubs, and I noticed that it was empty. So I was incredibly excited. So I thought that God maybe locked everybody's door so I could go down and have a private hot tub. And so I was down there enjoying myself, thanking God that I got this hot tub alone. And these two drunk young girls in their 20s stumbled over to the hot tub. And, I was, and they, one of them went to walk in the hot tub and tripped and fell right in my lap. And She goes, hello, looking at me. <laughs> Two drunk boys, my son's age, in their 20s, followed them in the hot tub. And now I'm sitting in the hot tub and I'm thinking, well, the first thing I'm thinking is, if God gives me a divine appointment, I don't think I can stay in here very long because I'm over 50. And when you stay in hot water too long, your skin falls off. (laughs) And the second thing I'm thinking is, I can't relate to these kids. And that girl has a belly button ring and I can't even find my belly button anymore. You know, so, and all these thoughts are going through my mind. I want to stay invisible, in other words. I don't want to come out of hiding. They don't know I'm a speaker. They don't know I'm a Christian. They don't know I'm an author. They don't care. And I'm just, you know, in the hot tub. But then my mother's heart rose up and I thought, if you were in the hot tub with my daughter who was drinking, and there was two boys that that were drinking, what would I hope you would do if you had a chance to stop something from happening? And that changed my perspective. And I figured with the girl, I already bonded. So she was (laughs) in my lap. And so I looked at the girls and I said, can I say something to you if you don't mind? And they said, okay. And I said, God wants to give you so much of a better life than you're giving yourself. And you don't ever have to compromise with these men or any men to get the life God wants to give you. You mean so much more than that. And they're like, really? No one had ever spoken life to them, truth to them. And they're certainly not going to get it on the media, are they? And so I said, can I pray for you girls? And can I pray for your future husbands? They were like, sure. Like someone cares for me. And they came over next to me and threw my arms around them. I'm in like this. (laughs) And I started to pray for them. And you could tell the two boys that, great lady, you ruined my night. And, (laughs) And I was already walking out, and I thought, I'm already here. I might as well go all the way. And so I looked at the two boys, I said, can I say something to you? And they're like, okay. They were scared. And I wasn't near as loving with them. I said, you be the boys you want to be, and don't you dare touch those girls, and my is right up there, and I'll see you. They were like, yes, ma'am. I mean, I scared them. And the one boy goes, you sound like my mother's prayers. I said, are you boys Christians? They said, yes, ma'am. We got them coffee, got them out of the hot tub, and we got to minister to them and lead all four of them back to the Lord. People are drowning. They don't care about your life. They care that you hold a life preserver. They don't care who said what about you. They don't care what you felt. They don't care what you think about yourself. But if you're going to be a deliverer of God's word and God's hope and be an ambassador of love and throw a life preserver when they're drowning, that's what they care about. Do you see the difference? The military, when they sign, you know, when they sign, they know that they have no idea where they're going to be stationed. And while they're in the military, They can be moved at any time where they're going to be the most useful. We lost our home to get an apartment. That apartment led four kids to the Lord. We don't know who they're going to grow up to be. So I'm not sure where you stand in your life, where you've been repositioned. But I do know that God has a call on your life and where you stand is holy ground. And I do know that wherever you stand, every single day, there's someone around you that needs kindness or prayer or you to encourage them or an act of service. Do you agree? And can you imagine how much more fun your walk with God would be and how much more greater things we have to talk about if while we're waiting in traffic, we're praying or listening to a podcast or worshiping the Lord. Or while we're waiting in line and someone went in front of us, instead of being upset about it, say, you know what? You go first. You be the princess and honor someone else. Or the person that mistreated us at the restaurant, we love on them. Are you okay? I remember standing in line. I fly almost every weekend. And there was a flight attendant that was extremely rude to every single person getting on that plane. And I was thinking, man, they need to fire her. But what I just felt led to say when I walked in, I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm not okay. My son was just killed. See, we don't know what's going on in someone's life. I was so mad at myself for judging her. We don't know why people are short or acting a certain way or broken. We need to ask the right questions. Are you okay? How are you doing? And we can find out. in closing, give me an E. How e. you guys are awesome. The E is eliminate whatever's holding you back from God's blessing. Eliminate whatever's holding you back. Second Peter 2.19 says, we're a slave to whatever controls us. How do you know what's controlling you? What you're not willing to lay down, what you think about all the time, what consumes your mind all the time. Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it finances? Is it... A person, is it what someone thinks about you? What's controlling me? What am I a slave to? What do I need to lay down? What do I need to walk away from Hebrews 12.1, since we are surrounded with a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, any sin that entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. How do you know if something is from God or not? How do you know if what's holding on to you Here's one thing I hope will help you, how you'll know if something is from God or if you're hearing the voice of God or if someone that's speaking to you is telling you this is what you should do. When someone speaks to you, even if they use the word of God, if someone speaks to you and it brings confusion, is God a God of confusion? If it brings chaos, all of a sudden there's just chaos everywhere. There's just nothing, no order. Is God a God of order? Yes. Yes. And so if it controls you and you can't get control of it, if it brings chaos, if it brings confusion, it could have the best intentions, but it's not from God. So for us to throw off or to lay down, I need to really take a hard look. What is controlling me? What am I holding on to? What is hindering me? Because Jesus picked his 12 disciples. He didn't say the first 12 that want to walk with me, get over here. And so just be careful, you're valuable. You're extremely valuable. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you choose to put yourself with people that steal your joy, you've you've allowed them to steal your strength. Protect your inner circle like Jesus did. Minister outside of your home But don't bring people in your home that's going to bring chaos and conflict and confusion and and stands against everything you believe. Do you know how many wonderful women of God I've ministered to that with the best intentions brought someone in their home and it stole their family? It stole their children? It stole their marriage? So whatever it is that's holding back God's blessing in your life, pray this weekend and say, God, God, I want your blessing. I want to do what you want me to do. I want you to have my heart so I can enjoy the blessings you give me. I want to access your grace. I don't want to walk in fearful, I'm going to fail, I'm too weak, I can't do this. What do people think? No, God, I just want to walk in your confidence. And God, I want my identity and you back. I don't want to give a person permission to become my God. And whatever they say about me, whatever they feel about me that day is who I am. Anybody not want to do that? We don't. Even our husbands, they cannot become our identity. That's too much pressure on them too. But they can't. And one of the things that I think hinders us and and that God showed me this morning are things that are no longer growing, things that God has already removed from you or from your life, And you're still holding on to them. And and the story that God showed me, because it was something I was holding on to, is he showed me David. David committed sin with Bathsheba. Bathsheba got pregnant. The baby was ill and going to die. David begged God, please don't take the baby. And he probably, because he felt so guilty for killing her husband and wrecking her life, please, God, save the baby. So David fasted and prayed and wept, and the baby still died. So he grabs his servants, and he says, I'm going to shower, and I'm going to get dressed. Now let's eat. And his servants said to him, This doesn't make sense. Why the baby was alive, you wept and cried out to God and fasted, and now the baby is dead, and you're going to get up and shower and eat. And David says, the baby is dead, meaning there's, it's over. I need to get up and continue. And, of course, we know about God's redemption through King Solomon, the second baby that came through him in Bathsheba, who became the wisest king that ever lived. Maybe what's hindering you is something that's dead, and you're still carrying it. You're still on Friday when Sunday is where God's called you to be. So pray this weekend. God, What is, what needs to be removed? Is there something dead? That am I holding? Because if a woman holds a dead baby, because you don't want to let go, it's hard, that morning, that letting go. So what God may be asking you this weekend is, you're holding on to something that will hurt you. Can you hand it to your daddy? You're holding on to something from your past that I've already put to death and maybe you haven't forgiven yourself so you're holding on to a past sin and God's going what sin? you already asked forgiveness for that sin I don't even know what you're talking about it's covered in the blood but you're holding on to it you're beating yourself up maybe it's a rejection of someone you loved and you just or keep holding on that one day they're going to accept you and Love you, and, and Jesus is saying, it's time to wash and eat and move on and move forward. I, I'm not sure what that is, but I would love to invite you to do something very special tonight. And I don't know if I have a musician here. Are you? Anybody here? Can, the piano, thank you. Um, would you love a breakthrough tonight? Raise your hand if you'd like a breakthrough to dance on the battlefield. So I'm going to, I would love to invite you to do something tonight. How would you like to do the wedding vows that we do to a man at a wedding to the Savior? That we choose to follow Christ for better or for worse in sickness and in health. Wouldn't that be a beautiful breakthrough? Because I've learned the most beautiful place to be is to not love God with conditions because His love is unconditional for us. Not wait to move forward. Not wait to dance. And so if, if you're here tonight, I'm going to start, just if every eye could be closed for a moment. And this is just between you and the Lord. This isn't about what each other thinks. This isn't, we don't want to play games. We're at a retreat. We want to go home different. So if every eye could be closed out of respect to the Holy Spirit for a moment. And I'm going to call some things out. And if you're saying, yeah, I'm ready. If someone has spoken a lie to you and you believe that lie and you made it your identity and you're saying, I want to be done with this lie, I want a breakthrough from this lie, and I want to walk in God's truth, raise up your hand. Lots of hands. Lots of lies. If there's a dream you did not get and you're just wondering why why God didn't get it to you like he did for me with the ice skating, and you're like, I'm ready to let that dream die and let God resurrect his dream for my life. I want his dream for my life. His, He's the author, and I've worked a long time to try to set up my life the way I want it, and I'm tired, and I just want to surrender to his dream. Not my will, but God's will be done in me. Raise your hand. Lots of us. If, you're, if you know that you've with the best of intentions tried to do things to please God your way instead of his way, and you're like, I just want to be free from that. I want to do things God's way. And I just want him to have my heart. I want to take my heart back from whoever has it more than God. And I want to place it back in my heavenly father's hands. And I want to place it back in my savior's hands. I want to give my heart back to where it belongs and where it's safe raise your hand tons of us if you've been hiding and you're like I do love God and I definitely want to touch people's lives but I've really been hiding because I'm embarrassed or I'm insecure or I feel damaged or I feel scared like Gideon and I want to come out of hiding raise your hands tons of us And then lastly, the E. You know there's something that God told you to eliminate the second I even said it. And you're like, yeah, I need to eliminate. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's watching the news at night. Maybe it's negative talk. Maybe it's something very personal. And he's saying, you know, that's not good for you, my baby girl. Would you just... Lay that down today and let me replace what you're holding on to with my blessing. I want to eliminate your sin. I just want to eliminate blank because it's holding me back from running my race with God. If you're something you know you need to eliminate, raise your hand. Every one of us. Well, Lord, first, before we do these vows, God, we just, uh, we ask God the D, that you would honor the fact that we want to put our heart back in your hands. And that's sometimes scary. And God, we want to give our heart back to you. You say to love you with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. Right now, we want to give you back our heart. And whoever we've given it to more than you, we ask your forgiveness. The A. God, we know all of our insecurities and all of our inadequacies, and we want to access your grace. We don't want to operate anymore out of what others think. We don't want to operate anymore out of our own confidence. We want to walk in your confidence. We want to live out doing all things through you. And there's some thorns in our flesh, God, and If you could remove them, we're asking you to. (laughs) But if you know that that situation is there for your purpose and your glory, then give us the grace to handle it or remove it. And for identity, the end. Lord, so many lies that we believe about ourselves, even if no one says anything. We want to trade our identity and who we think we are and who others say we are for your identity in us. We want to walk in your confidence and not our own. We want to walk knowing we are daughters of the Most High King. We want our children to walk in truth. So we choose now to lay down lies and pick up truths, even if it's just for the sake of the next generation. Show us, Holy Spirit, the lies. And replace them with your truth. That we are chosen. We are light in darkness. We are salt to the earth. We are daughters of the most high king. We are called. We are princess warriors. We are the bride of Christ. And help us to believe it, God, because it's really hard. Don't let this be just some session we talk about. Let this be marked in our heart forever. And let us fight for our true identity. See the come out of hiding, God, God. Well, Lord, just help us to overcome our insecurities and hear you whisper to us, mighty hero, I am with you. Help us to see past our own insecurities and fears to those that are drowning. And let us give them those life preservers you've given us. Give us keys to set prisoners free. Give us words of life. Give us courage just eliminate help us to lay down whatever needs to be laid down to let go of whatever needs to be let go and that whatever is dead help us to let it die whatever needs to be resurrected in us do it as we close out this night God you are our prince and you are coming back for us and we want to dance with you when you return This is something the Lord gave me. If you can just keep your eyes closed, it's out of one of my books. My beloved, may I invite you to let your heart dance with me again. I'm the one who can turn your morning into dancing. I'm the one that can give you the grace needed for the world to see that you are my bride. If you will accept my invitation to dance, you will begin to feel my heart beat with yours again. It's time to step out onto the dance floor with me and allow me to be the one to play a song for your soul that will make us become one. Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. I will build you up again and you will take up your trembles and you will go out to dance and you will dance with joy once again if you would like to stand with me as we and repeat the wedding vows to Jesus to commit to follow him till death do you part Let's pray, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, today I say I do and I will choose to love you with all my heart, trust you with the rest of my life. From this day forward, I take you, Jesus, as my savior and my eternal prince for better or for worse for richer or for poorer in times of sickness and in times of health in times of joy and in times of sorrow in times of triumph and in times of failure in times of plenty and in times of want to have and to hold From this day forward, until you return, or death places me in your arms. Amen.